five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the first episode of Season 3 of the Space Q Podcast. We've got an exciting season planned where we'll interview the people pushing the boundaries of the space economy, making discoveries in space science, observing the Earth to better understand our planet and manage our resources, and so much more. Later this month, we'll also be launching our new pop-up podcast, Terranauts, hosted by Ian Christie. Ian's first interview will be with Stéphane Germain, the CEO of GHGSAT. If you haven't listened to my interview with Ian about Terranauts, it's available in our feed. The SpaceQ and Terranauts podcasts are partially advertiser-supported, but that revenue isn't enough for a viable business. That's why it's really important for us that you support us through Patreon. And starting this fall, we're going to provide subscriber-only content available to our patrons on Patreon. To support SpaceQ, please make your monthly pledge at patreon.com slash spaceq, and that's S-P-A-C-E-Q. Okay, now on to today's podcast. Today we're focusing on the commercialization of low Earth orbit, with a focus on the International Space Station and other potential commercial habitats. This is the first part of a two-part series, and my guest is Adrian Manjuka, the Commerce Director at NanoRacks. NanoRacks describes himself as both the largest commercial user and private investor on the International Space Station with customers from over 30 nations. Recently, NanoRacks released a NASA commissioned study titled An In-Orbit Commercial Space Station Habitat Development Enabling Cost-Effective and Sustainable U.S. Presence in Low-Earth Orbit. NanoRacks partnered with 14 other organizations to create the 170-page report. In my conversation with Adrian, we go over some of the key findings of the report and delve into what the real-world LEO Space Station Habitat Marketplace is. Listen in. Welcome, Adrian, to the SpaceQ Podcast. Good to be here. So, the study that NanoRacks and its partners created is long with plenty of details. I think for this interview, we'll cover the main conclusions and delve into some of the more interesting findings. To start, the study states there is no single point solution and that an ecosystem of service providers, hardware manufacturers, and consumers, to include government customers, are required to make space a viable location for commercial activity. How would you characterize the current ecosystem for commercial activity? Yeah, that's a, that's a really big question, uh, and and I certainly appreciate it. Uh, first of all, pleasure uh, pleasure to be on the podcast, um, and uh, and really excited to talk about, uh, in particular, that word that you mentioned there, ecosystem. Um, you know, we at Nanorax have been uh, proselytizing this word for for ten years in the space industry. Everything. Uh, is about building up that ecosystem. And what we mean uh, when we say ecosystem, you got into a little bit of the definition there. Um, 
but but it's really interesting that the way that we, uh, especially in the United States, but but globally, have have thought about space um, is you know this this monolithic place where the government sends up satellites and sometimes rocket ships and sometimes space stations and they do science and they decide what science gets done uh, they have access to that science and that's done for the benefit of the nation and for the benefit of all mankind and that's all well and good um, but what NASA asked us to do here is to start, uh, imagining what a future might be like where commercial companies, where private citizens, um, and, and I should also be clear when I say private citizens, I don't just mean millionaires and billionaires with access to $50 million of capital for a ticket to the ISS for a two-week vacation. I mean average people wanting, average scientists, citizen scientists, students, wanting to do stuff in space. How can we both create that access for these average folks to get to space um, and also create a vibrant economy in space? Um, so what we've been thinking about at Nanorax and what our study uh, was, was really about is what are all of the pieces that you need uh, in as, as a part of a real functioning economy to make it both sustainable, attractive to continual investment from the private sector and, and from other governments? How do we make that economic activity beneficial for folks on Earth? And, and really, how do we get the most out of uh, out of the resources that we're putting up there. So I've, I've talked, you know, this is, this is very vague. This is very high level. And I, and I really want to drill down into some of these points, but, you know, I'll let you ask the questions and then, uh, and then get more specific, uh, with what I mean by all that as you go. Okay. So we'll then go right into the current, um, what's currently in orbit. So sure. the International Space Station serves as the primary in-orbit commercial outpost. Aside from government, your company and others have made investments in developing the commercial capabilities of the ISS. Currently, the space station partners, that being the government agencies that funded its development, and not the commercial partners that are in uh, actually using it in part, have agreed to extend its use through 2024. That's only five years from now. Um, so before we actually get into other outposts that might be created, what happens in, in, in 2024? I mean, uh, is there going to be another extension? Yeah, great, uh, great question there, Mark. Um, I, I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, to, to be very frank with you, your last question is how I would characterize it uh, today. And, and I think your, uh, your next question answered it. Uh, in a way, uh, it's a single point, uh, single point, quote unquote, ecosystem. Um, that is to say, there's only one place for anybody to do uh, uh, business, really, in low Earth orbit, uh, in, in terms of science that they can send up and bring back down. So, so really, the pressurized payloads, uh, the stuff that, that we really, um, you know, we've been saying for 20, 30 years is, is going to create all of these breakthroughs for, for science and medicine. Um, there's only one place where we can do any of that right now, and that's the ISS. You know, unless the you know, Chinese build, uh, build uh, the, the next iteration of Tiangong, uh, and, and they're planning to do that, that will then be a two-point uh, infrastructure. And, 
as you know, uh, uh, the American uh, space program, the Chinese space program, don't uh, don't really talk to each other and are prevented by law in the United States from doing so. Um, so there, there is not a lot of infrastructure there, and having the ISS uh, end, I think, in, in 2024 would be a big blow uh, to the research community, to the space commercial community. Um, it, is, it is real infrastructure, and it is critical uh, to, to keep that foundational infrastructure active um, because there is really no strong Leo economy yet. I mean, outside of communication satellites, outside of uh, telecoms and Earth imagery, you know, there's there's a lot of buzz out there about all of the new uh, manufacturing activities and, and all this cool stuff that we can do in medicine, agriculture, and, and energy from space. Um, but if you really dive into it, uh, things like that require hard permanent infrastructure, a, a place to resupply from, a, a place to refuel from, um, maybe a place to to have astronauts assemble the satellite and deploy it from. Um, and if the ISS goes away, I, I would see that in the next four years uh, as a uh, as a setback uh, to the uh, to the potential of of building out what we've already accomplished in the past decade, especially at Manorax. Um, I know that there's been some talk uh, and and legislation uh, pinging back and forth about the potential of extending the ISS to to 2030. Um, you know, certainly the architecture uh, is is robust. Uh, enough to do that. Um, I, I think uh, we'll we'll need to get good at uh, at repairs in space. I think that's going to be a, a, another element that you know NASA's got to look at that we've got to look at from a technical perspective. Um, you know, a lot of these modules are, are are 20 20 years old, and and at that point they were built on legacy technology. So you've got you have things on the ISS that are you know 30 year 30 year technology. Um, you know, and by 2030, it'll be uh, it'll be 40 year technology. So that's one thing that uh, we've we've got to get good at. But um, but I, I do personally uh, hope that uh, that an extension uh, would be considered. We've we've just achieved so much uh, and, and we have so much to learn about maintaining a long duration uh, uh, space presence uh, still. But the longer we can push that, really, I, I think the more we learn. Now, at the same time, I think it would behoove the ISS, and you know, we've seen some really good uh, good moves from NASA uh, to uh, to kind of behave more commercially. We're really excited about the commercial policy that NASA's released. Um, so, so figuring out kind of how the commercial sector can work with the government uh, to both lower costs, increase capability, deliver more value uh, to uh, to people on Earth. Um, you know, I, I think that would be, uh, you know, that's, that's my ideal. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. So here's the thing. You, uh, I'm, I'm going to unpack a little bit of what you said there. So sure. the space station is actually not complete. Uh, if yeah. I remember yeah. correctly, there's at least one more Russian module to be flown. Indeed. Uh, and of course, there's also new hardware that's being brought on, including uh, your uh, airlock, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, 20, uh, 2020, uh, November SpaceX 21, we are manifested, uh, ready to go. 
beautiful piece of equipment, and uh, I'd, I'd love to talk about it if you want to hear. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, okay. So here's the thing. So we've got more hardware still to go up, right? And the reality is, is that it takes many years for governments to commit to extending the ISS. So obviously, in each country, those um, conversations are ongoing at the whatever level, national level. Um but is it safe to say that here we are, 2019, that by 2021, there needs to be some sort of, and I picked that date, there needs to be some sort of signal that's out there that says we're getting close to an agreement to extend the space station because it, it takes time. Yeah, and you know, you're, you're hitting on something really interesting here. So I'll, I'll talk to you from the commercial perspective. Um, and you know, you, you might have read uh, in the, it's, it's up in the executive summary. I wouldn't make you read all 400 pages, goodness knows. Um, but, uh, but, but we write it in the executive summary of the Leo commercialization study that one of the things critical uh, to the commercial sector for leveraging the maximum amount of investment possible in new infrastructure is this idea of expectation setting. Um, and and that's what that's what governments are good at, right? That's why we have uh, you know a, a thriving economy in in the United States and Canada. We have uh, you know uh, governments that that uh, you know honor or, or help uh, the commercial sector honor contracts. So we have contract law. Uh, we have you know uh, dependable power. We have dependable infrastructure, uh, and we know that you know if if things break down, uh, hopefully not in all cases, of course, but but hopefully the government's going to be there to to help us uh, us fix them, and that's what drives innovation, right? We we cannot have commercial innovation. Uh, uh, we cannot have or foster commercial investment without those investors knowing uh, that that someone's got their back. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very difficult to convince, you know, a venture capital firm to come in and say, uh, for a company like Nanorex, Hey, we want to put this, this huge piece of equipment on the international space station. Uh, it's, it's going to quintuple the capacity for deployments. We're going to have, you know, all these commercial opportunities. Um, and by the way, uh, the government hasn't decided if it's coming down in four years or if it's coming down in 10 years, uh, no one's going to invest in that. Uh, you know, if, if you cannot depend uh, on that infrastructure to be in place for a certain amount of time, uh, people are going to walk away. Investors are going to walk away. So, so it it is it it puts us in a difficult situation. This this kind of uncertainty of, like you were saying, you know, okay, it's it's going to take a while to to go through the entire process to get the international partner approval, um, you know, to to get congressional approval, and then and then to pass an extension out to 2030. Um, and and every indication of uncertainty uh, reduces uh, you know investors' willingness to to uh, put up money uh, for further uh, further infrastructure, um, further activity, uh, and it it, it kind of hampers uh, hampers the markets uh, markets' ability to uh, to create uh, create value um, and and really be be strategic. Um, so I yeah I can get into the nuances of that a little bit more, but I do want to make sure I'm I'm hitting on all the points. So, so here's an interesting thing: uh, the the one part of the equation that we know is happening in the U.S. is that uh, the government is definitely uh, pro commercial right now. 
Um, but when we look at the International Space Station, uh, it's a group of, uh, of partners. Uh, and one of those partners include uh, Russia. And the, the relationship between Russia and the U.S. is a little shaky a, at the moment. Uh, the relationship between Russia and Europe is shaky and Canada as well. Um, uh, up to this point, politics have not really played uh, a significant negative effect in what happens in space, in terms of the International Space Station. In other places, yes, but in the International Space Station, no. So if, and, 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 and politics are important, and there's an election in the U.S. next year, um, you know, what happens if a Trump administration is reelected? What happens if it's a democratic uh, 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 government? Um, is it safe to say that if the space station isn't extended, this is not a short-term setback, but this is like a long-term setback because we're talking not, you know, a month, six months, a year, two years. We're talking years, maybe even a decade uh, of potential setbacks uh, if the space station isn't extended because the commercial marketplace is going to be going, okay, we have a decision to make now. What do we do next? Are we going to go out and create another outpost? Is there enough of a commercial ecosystem and U.S. government support for us to do it on our own without international partners? So maybe you can address that a little bit. Sure, and, and I, I hope you, uh, you noticed how, uh, how centrally international partnerships featured in our, our LEO commercialization study. We have no, no doubt as, as to their uh, uh, importance. Um, you know, as, as a company, we have offices uh, in Dubai and, uh, and Torino uh, to be closer to uh, the international markets where we are, uh, um, you know, where we're, we're very active. Um, so, so as a company, generally, we, we set a high priority on that. Um, you know, you're 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 getting you're getting into a lot uh, with that question. The the first thing I, I really want to address is is this idea that it was it was kind of implicit in what you were saying that you know perhaps there is enough of a commercial marketplace in Leo to drive private investment into Leo infrastructure by way of space stations. Um, and, and I know you, you didn't, you, you didn't say whether or not, you know, that's true. You just said, you know, could this be a possibility? And, and I do want to answer definitively uh, right now. No, absolutely not. Not without initial government support. And, and we have stressed this point in our Leo commercialization study over and over and over. Um, there is there is a lot of enthusiasm, and yes, as a company, we uh, we we don't have that much venture capital, right? We have to stay in the black as a company. The money that we invest in our space infrastructure is money that we have made. It is revenue that we've brought in. You know, we pay all our bills, we keep the lights on, but but we don't do it on the back of you know VCs. And I think that's really extraordinary, and it is it is testament to the fact that. With our advocacy and, and our work over the past 10 years for the ISS as a commercial platform, we've been able to suss out all kinds of little researchers and, and schools. And sometimes we've, you know, we've worked with governments and, and we're very excited at our, at our multiple international collaborations to that effect. Um, but is it enough to close the business case for an entirely privately managed, built, uh, operated space station? Uh, without international partners, uh, just the United States. And when I say international partners, I mean international, potentially either institutional partners or government partners. 
Um, no. And, and that's what I mean when, when I talk about ecosystems to, to kind of tie back with your first question. That's what I mean when I talk about there is no single point solution. Collaboration is absolutely key uh, to, to managing a, uh, a LEO, a, a budding LEO space infrastructure. Now, you ask me in, in 20 years, maybe even in 10 years, heck, if we're lucky, maybe even in five years, is there going to be perhaps a, a company that, that has a great revelation and I, I don't know, Eli Lilly or, or a major pharma company says, you know what, it would be great if we could invest $500 million to a $1 billion in this huge space infrastructure to build a coherent bio lab uh, or lab architecture on orbit and, and we'll provide the up mass and the down mass and we'll send up an astronaut to do, uh, you know, drug discovery for several weeks at a time. And maybe we'll have synthesis labs up there that are telerobotically operated. And that's a worthy investment. I, I hope that happens. I hope we get to that future. But right now, as the market exists today, we do not get there without international partners. We do not get there without at least initial government support for things like transportation, for things like infrastructure maintenance, certainly for policy questions, um, and um, you know, and ensuring that, that that we're in line with with all of the you know multiple regulations and and deorbit regulations and and, uh, and 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 frequency licensing and all that. So so the government is still a very important part of this. One of the one of the things I keep saying. Let let me kind of distill this to an, to an anecdote that I I really like um you know we're we're going through a time where you know in in especially here in the united states and nasa and you know throughout throughout the government and even internationally there's this discourse that commercial is kind of the the solution to, to all of our problems and and believe me i i am on the commercial side i'm i'm all for it uh, I believe that you know the engine of American creativity is commerce and and the free market, and that's and that's brilliant. Um, and and I, I certainly think I, I speak for Nanorax when I say that. Um, that having been said, take this anecdote. It is not as if uh, transcontinental truckers in the 1940s and 50s came together and and banded as a group and and said, you know, it would be really great. If we could get produce from one side of the country to the other in three days, wouldn't that be great? What do we need to do that? Oh, we need a highway system. So let's pool all of our money together and build the great American highway. That's not what happened. It was a government initiative. On top of that, it was it was a defense-focused government initiative to get troops quickly from one side of the country to the other after the Americans encountered the Autobahn in Germany. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a history lesson there, but but that initial insight that investment um you know born of of uh international uh, uh awareness and, and looking at what other folks in the world are doing granted in a in a you know more violent war war time footing um but but that awareness uh, and that investment built out something that, that defines first of all defines the american landscape but on top of that defines the american economy uh, trucking and and, uh, and and moving goods across the country is is an assumption now, uh, it, and and it is not. It was not. It, it it is built up an entire private sector around it. It's built up enormous value around it, but 
to to expect that the government recoups that value immediately or, or that investment comes back into the government's coffers immediately is ridiculous. The economic value that is, is generated by the activity that happens on highways, a government recoups like any sane government in the world does through taxation. And, and that value that we have invested in our highways is more than paid back to us as a civilization, as a country, in the intangible value that it generates to our daily lives, uh, to our uh, to to the way that we structure our lives, to our uh, to our economy generally, um, and and to the funding that our government gets from the activities that are that are borne out uh, in that infrastructure. Why should space be any different? Why should we say, you know, okay, suddenly there's a private sector and let them manage Leo because, you know, we want to spend the money uh, to do something else. Certainly, I understand the intent, but the process, and and I agree with the end goal of that process, the ISS is is a, a large piece of infrastructure and it costs a good deal of money to maintain. That money can be used elsewhere. Great. How the private sector, the sector transition into it. But that transition must be a transition, and it must be done mindful of setting up all of the economic conditions for its success. Uh, and, and that gets us back to the ecosystem. So that's my rant, um, but, but I hope you know, I, I hope it's somewhat coherent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You bring up, uh, you actually were, it was perfect to lead into my next question, which is, okay, so we've discussed the, you know, what happens if the space station were to go away. Um, uh, let's talk about one of the, and you mentioned it, and so I'll just expand on it a little bit. There has been discussion about um, taking the space station and saying, okay, 2024, um, we're going to pull out and commercial interests are going to take over. What I heard you say is that, no, that can't happen. It has to be a transition. Um, and and for this, I understand because the, the upkeep cost of the space station is considerable. So here's the question, a transition. What does transition mean to you? And, 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 and considering the actual costs of maintaining the space station, how long is a transition Period. I mean, do you have any idea on that? Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a tougher question. Um, and and I think that you know our our friends at NASA would be best place to answer something. You know, getting into any technical details about what it takes to operate. Uh, what it takes to operate a, a space station of that kind of magnitude and, and complexity uh, with that much equipment on it. Um, you know, equipment, as I said, that's built with, you know, many specifications that comes from several international partners. I mean, that, that is a huge logistical question that, uh, that NASA and the international partners have in front of them. Um, I, I don't think that anybody has ever proposed, you know, this idea that, you know, okay, well, the space station is commercial now and let's sell it off to the, to the highest bidder and wash our hands of it and, and, and move away. Um, that, that's, that's certainly, you know, that has never been proposed by, by anybody, not at, not at NASA and not in the administration as, as far as I'm aware. Um, so, I, I understand that transition process to mean, you know, for instance, there there are a subset of commercial activities or, or of activities generally um, 
on the station and, and, you know, with its ancillary capabilities and services like astronaut training, for instance, uh, that can be farmed out to the commercial sector so that the government can reallocate resources uh, toward uh, critical things like critical uh, 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 missions like, you know, the Deep Space Gateway, like Europa Clipper, like the mission onward to Mars. Um, and, and, you know, gain efficiencies both, you know, in terms of the, the quality of the service provided and, uh, and, and the cost of the service provided. Um, so I, what, what I understand that transition to mean and, and what I hope, you know, I, what I hope I can convey you know, to the world and, and certainly what, what we've heard from NASA and what NASA has been, been great at communicating uh, to us about is that, you know, those activities, things like what we do, for instance, managing laboratory infrastructures on the ISS, managing satellite deployments, managing uh, airlock cycles, for instance, those are things that, you know, why why should NASA, why should the government sector get so granular and, and spend so many resources trying to, you know, move the needles when, when we're down here on the ground working with, you know, suppliers and buyers and, you know, academia and institutions and customers that, that tell us directly what they want to see, what services they most want to see on the ISS. We have the ability to get that granular. NASA does not. You know, NASA only has so many employees to dedicate to critical, you know, critical endeavors. Uh, we're the ones with the resources that can, you know, really get our get our hands dirty and, and see what uh, what activities would be most interesting uh, for for commercialization on the ISS. So, so that's kind of how I see this this transition process. It's not like you know someday Nanoracks or or you know. Uh, you know, anyone else is going to buy the space station and we're going to brand it and it's going to be the Manorak space station. That's not, you know, that's not what we understand. You know, NASA support and, and mission control and astronaut operations and, you know, the, the critical life support systems and, and, and all those things we, we hope uh, and, and expect based on, again, everything we've been told. Uh, that the uh, that the uh, uh, government will will continue to closely monitor, uh, manage, uh, and to to uh, some extent fund um, as as we are able to fund operations on the ISS. Uh, we're also happy to see that NASA is thinking. You know, okay, well, if we're expected to manage these uh, manage these critical pieces of infrastructure, then. And, and you are gaining a profit from this infrastructure that we are managing. Um, you know, is there some sort of exchange that we can come to in order to, you know, help us pay for, you know, pay for this? Um, and and that's I think where NASA's commercial policy comes in. It was released uh, I I think three months ago. Uh, it's available for everyone to see online. It, it gives you the prices for things like crew time. You know, if you want the crew to to uh, you know, work with your payload. It, it costs a certain amount of money per uh, per hour. Uh, you know, uh, money for things like upmass and and sending uh, sending commercial payloads to the space station. If you want that, well, there's there's, a, there's an associated cost, and so NASA can recoup some of the investments that it will have to continue to make to keep the ISS around and healthy and safe. 
Um, I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's very much uh, a, a forward-looking uh, decision uh, on the part of NASA. I, I hope to see that policy evolve. Um, you know, certainly it's, it's not perfect now, and, and it's a process of iteration. But, you know, we're, we're on board. We're talking with NASA all the time about, um, you know, how to, how to kind of move those levers and, and those dials to, to make sure that what they're doing is both in the interest of the continuity uh, of the uh, of the uh, ISS and astronaut program there, uh, and uh, and of course the the well being of a uh, robust uh, and active commercial ecosystem uh, on board. So that transition process, there are a lot of nuances there. Uh, you know, want to reemphasize that no one is selling the ISS. That is that is not what's happening here. Um, but, uh, but NASA is looking and, and the international partners uh, are looking at uh, critical pieces of activity that are better suited for commercial operation and then how to recoup uh, some, uh, some of the investment that the government has made uh, in the ability of those commercial activities to, to continue um, you know, in a way that, that allows them to kind of scale, expand, and, and grow uh, with the infrastructure. Does that make sense? It does. And, and as um, so you're sort of talking like a, a landlord tenant uh, relationship in some respects. Um, but um, and you said, like you said, the, the NASA did release three months ago the pricing. Um, but those that pricing is based on uh, certain criteria. And it's definitely something that's going to change over time. So. You know, for instance, what if a company like Nanorack says, okay, we need you to maintain the infrastructure, but we're going to have a private astronaut and we've arranged for transportation for this private astronaut to do certain work for us on station. Have you considered uh, or factored that into anything that you've uh, in the report? Uh, of course, uh, in the report, it, it factors a little bit, um, but but of course, this is something that that we have considered very carefully. Uh, there is an associated cost uh, that that NASA is um, you know discussing internally for things like uh, you know load on environmental control and life support systems. Um, you know, consumables, uh, you know, everyday astronauts will, will have to, you know, uh, eat food, obviously, drink water, take showers and, uh, you know, utilize, uh, utilize restrooms and uh, take up electricity for, uh, for you know, activities that they're performing potentially on a, uh, on a commercial platform that NASA is uh, soliciting for right now. Um, you know, these, these are questions that, that NASA is absolutely asking. These are questions that, that we're asking as a company. You know, right now, I, I think a lot of that is in flux. There are a lot of great proposals out there about how that would be handled. But, you know, forgive the analogy, but in, in many ways, we have to, we have to build, the, build the plane out as we're flying it um, with, with a lot of this stuff. And, and there will be changes, and we expect that. But um, what we are grateful for is the extent uh, to which NASA uh, and the government generally is is listening, uh, listening to what we're saying, listening to what researchers are saying, um, you know, listening to what users of of the space station infrastructure, um, pardon me, are saying, 
um, and and kind of adapting to that uh, so that so that they can optimize space station operations not only uh, for for their their purposes. Um, but really for for some of the laboratory uh, infrastructure and, and commercial infrastructure uh, that that the ISS was intended for. Um, so so I don't know. Does does that kind of begin to answer your question? It's it's a little vague right now. I, I'm just conveying that that there's not that much clarity exactly right now. But but we expect there to be in discussions are are really ongoing for for how a a commercial astronaut as such would uh, would be on the ISS. Yeah, I and, was just and, curious. Yeah. I mean, commercial astronauts sure, are sure. coming <laughs> and uh, yeah. and obviously the discussions are, are happening and how how it gets dealt with. Because the reason why I asked this is because, you know, another point in the study is that the final, uh, it says that, you know, um, the ISS should be the final government-owned and operated space station in low Earth orbit. And, right. and, and this is in part because um, for commercial ventures to make the investments in developing and building commercial platforms in LEO, according to the report, you know, you need that, that, that certainty that, that those investments can be made and then they're not going to be competing against government. Um, right. Now, how does that... How, that's with the U.S. government. What if somebody else, like, and we know China's building their their own uh, space station, um, and, and of course um, they're already soliciting uh, partners to come and work in it. What if uh, Russia decides it wants to go, and, it, and there have been discussions about Russia wanting to do its own thing, or uh, or some some other foreign government? Um, how does the marketplace react to that kind of? Competition, or does it matter? Does it matter because yeah. you're just talking about the U.S.? Yeah, that's that's an extraordinary question. I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, the the fact that uh, China is already soliciting commercial partners uh, for its uh, for its uh, upcoming infrastructure investments. Um, I think the foresight of of that specific move, and then I, I kind of want to get into the rest of your question, but you've, you raised a really important point here. The foresight of that specific move, I think, is extraordinary and something that uh, that we should pay very close attention to, um, as in the United States uh, and you know with with the ISS partners, we look at, at expanding the commercial infrastructure of the ISS and and beyond the ISS. Um, what's so critical about what the Chinese are doing is that, you know, they are getting an early start on designing the station around its intended users. Um, I'm a big fan of, of user-centered design and, and, you know, this concept called design thinking. I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners uh, are, are aware, um, but uh, but in short, it's it's the idea that you don't build something for somebody until you talk to them and figure out what they want built. You know, so many times, you know, engineer uh, in, in the engineering field or in the, in the software engineering field, we, we have these great ideas about, you know, what, what this awesome product could be. And, you know, if only we could tailor our messaging correctly, we'd have, you know, millions of users and billions of dollars because everyone will see how great our product is. Um, design thinking flips that on its head and it says, you know, okay, well, I'm 
thinking of uh, designing a, a product to solve some problem with today's water supply. Um, so you go to the intended users, let's say, you know, people on the street and you say, hey, you know, do you have any problems with your water at home? And they say, oh, you know, actually, it's, uh, you know, I, I really wish that I had this, this filter and I wouldn't have to mess with all these filters and in my fridge. And I could just do it on my sink. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I should build a filter then for users that, that fits around their, their sink cover. Uh, or, or their their spigot or whatever, um, you know, and and then is born this entirely new product that's you know really interesting and wildly successful because what you do first is you see what the users' needs are uh, and you respond to that and that that is design thing that it is so critical um, to to begin implementing that in the new space industry especially. Um, and, and really in the way that we build space infrastructure in the future, because there are a lot of companies out there, there are a lot of companies out there that have these awesome ideas and they get billions of dollars or millions of dollars of investment. And then they risk waking up one day and realizing that there's no market for those ideas because those ideas are either ahead of their time or their solutions to problems that no one has quite yet. And there are lots of examples of this. I'm certainly not going to name names, but you know, in the small, uh, in 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 the new space industry, uh, I rest assured there are lots of examples, and the government is no exception. So the ISS has been built over the course of of 20 years, um, you know, with with lots of great hardware on it, uh, lots of great capabilities, um, but they were built or they were added piecemeal over the course of, of many years in time for many different programs built around many different needs, commercial and otherwise. The advantage of building something from first principles is enormous. To say from the start, here is the customer base that I want to engage in lower orbit. Uh, let's say, uh, you know, I, I, I keep going back to this idea of biopharma because it's, it's such a great example of, of a sector where we thought there was a lot of promise, but the billions of dollars have not started to flow in, the billions of dollars of investment. And I think there are some really important reasons for that. But again, the Chinese space station is starting to, or, or the Chinese approach is, is starting to get around. Um, if you want to build that kind of lab, the people that you should have in your company or in your space agency are uh, executives from life science corporations, uh, folks that build uh, actual laboratory infrastructure for those uh, for those corporations and users of the science that they produce. Uh, and and sure, a, a heck of a lot of uh, uh, you know space flight uh, scientists and, and engineers. Um, but it's not until you start building around your users' needs uh, that that you'll actually see commercial activity take place. Um, and and the fact that we're seeing that kind of thinking from China, saying, okay, well, we want industrial manufacturing in space. So who do we have to talk to now, and what do we have to build now? So that our infrastructure will be perfect for industrial manufacturing, um, you know, asking that question at the beginning is is going to be a huge advantage. So um, I, I've gone on a huge tangent. I want to get back to the question that you actually asked, but but that is a very important point that I want to leave to the side because it's important throughout everything that we talk about on the comment, everything that I say. 
Um, frankly, uh, I, I welcome uh, uh, competition uh, from uh, international partners. I think, uh, you know, uh, good on the Chinese for, for staking out and doing their own thing. If, if Russia would like to build a free-flying space station, good on them. Uh, please please do so. Uh, same goes for Japan and ESA and, and everyone else. Um, I think, however, and I, I continue to firmly believe that no, um, no country is an island uh, on Earth, uh, as in Leo, as, as above, so below. Uh, or as below, so above. Uh, everything is interconnected or should be. If any one player tries to go this alone um, and, and not engage both you know, other space agencies uh, uh, and, and uh, commercial companies in other countries, which, by the way, China is doing on, on, its, uh, on its space station, um, then, then they are they are doomed to failure. There is uh, there is no one business case. There is no one uh, specific country. Uh, there is there is no one uh, market that can close this whole thing alone. Leo is enormous. Space is infinite. Uh, to think that one company or 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 one country can can dominate that market, I think is. Uh, is short-sighted. Cooperation and collaboration have been key to spaceflight uh, since the beginning, and, and a healthy dose of competition, mind you. Um, and, and I certainly don't think that's going to change, um, you know, internationally and, and even on a, on a business-to-business scale. Hopefully, that begins to answer your question. Well, that's a wrap on part one of this two-part podcast series. Tune in next week to learn more about Leo commercialization for space habitats. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all comments sent to me in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we would really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, <laughs> that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will really help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. Thank you. See you next week.